Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And we're going to do our Patreon shout outs, but we're mixing it up today. Is it mixing it up? That's the phrase, right? We're messing gonna, it up. We're, mess, I don't think it's we're messing, messing it up. up. We're but fucking we, this up tremendously. <laughs> and that's how we roll on Feeling Asian. <laughs> we're mixing it up. Instead of doing your sex lives, we're going to do something equally as embarrassing. We're going to guess how much money you make. Right. Based on your name and zero information about you and my psychic abilities. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do two guesses of how much money they make, one guess of sex life, just to... Okay, two money, one sex life. One for us, two for them. So for those of you who don't know, Patreon is this great platform that allows you guys to donate to our podcast and we can reinvest it into the operations to make it way better. Um, And if you're interested in doing so, you can go to patreon.com slash feelingasian, yada, yada, and let's get uh, right into it. So our first Patreon shout out goes to chaotic baby level... Sarah Murata. I feel like she's rich because only rich people would donate a little amount to a podcast. Is Chaotic Baby a little amount? Is it? I forgot. <laughs> chaotic Baby is like what, the $5? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't get rich by little. spending all your money. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a little amount, but it's like, I feel like, you know, it's like the thing because like I'm poor and like I grew up poor. My dad was really poor. And so yeah. he would always tip a lot when he went to restaurants. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, like you wanted to pretend like okay. that's the person that's giving a lot of money to a podcast. You know, you know what? I'm going to double down on that and agree with you. Sarah Murata is rocking uh, a counterfeit Louis Vuitton purse. Even though she couldn't Even though she can afford a fucking Hermes Birkenbag. She doesn't give a shit. Purses have no value to her. She's she's carrying that purse on a private jet. So she doesn't really <laughs> give a shit. No one's going to see it, you know? <laughs> Our <laughs> second shout out, lawful baby level, which is even l- less Even less than money. <laughs> this is a billionaire. No, not, <laughs> and I think, you don't even know the name, but I'm pretty sure this person Jeff is a billionaire Bezos. because their name is Amity Spiegel. This person is a legit billionaire. Uh, if you're named Amity, you are you have an 18 bedroom home in Amagansett. Amity is very um is very like active on our social media. Billionaire Amity Spiegel, thank you so much for uh, donating, <laughs> donating three dollars to our podcast. And good on you. For no amount your is wealth. too small. <laughs> we don't want you to donate more. No, we're we're happy that you're the first woman. We want billion- you to build that intergenerational wealth. Okay, our last <laughs> shout out goes to Alexandra Pauly. This was the sex one? This is our sex one. Alexandra is such a hot name. Come on. Chaotic adult level. Oh, did you see that viral tweet? It said, like, I'm, I'm big enough to admit that girls named Alex are the main character. <laughs> <laughs> and this applies Alexandra, on 100%. The main character in the bedroom and on the streets. I feel like Alexandra Pauly, she's just a very cool person. Just very How cool. can you not be cool with that right, name? Right, Like, maybe sex is just such a nothing to her. It's not a thing. It's just like, eh, it's whatever. It's like smoking a cigarette. Yeah. She's just cool. Cool about everything. You don't give a shit when Never you're the does main any, character. Zero nervousness. Doesn't do anything awkward ever. Just yeah. a cool motherfucking person. Yeah. That's like me after three martinis. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so good at this. I'm probably like sucking... <laughs> very bad at it. In my head, I'm really good at it. <laughs> After three martinis, I'm like, everyone thinks I'm so hot. <laughs> uh, all right. Should we get to our episode today? Let's do it. Okay. I'm so excited. Um, today, we have a very special guest. 
Um, she was named as one of the 30 under 30 list on the 30 under 30 list by Forbes <laughs> magazine. What, what am I doing? <laughs> She's not, well, that is a factual statement. She is, is on the 30 under 30 list of I, the 30 under 30 list of Forbes which magazine. Is the, which is like the craziest list to get on because like, this is how, oh a- you know what? This is how Asian I am where I secretly had hope that I would get on that list. And as soon as I turned 30, I was like, all right, boys. It Pack a, it up. It was a nice life. <laughs> Time to go die. Time to be a failure in the eyes of my parents forever. <laughs> well, she was named on the list in 2018 and she's still under 30. And she's so young. When we brought it up to her, she said, oh, that's that information is so irrelevant now. That was, was so long ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, just an amazing fashion designer. You've probably heard about her. Just like blew up on the scene. Everyone... Give give us your ears for Sandy Leong. Hi guys. What's up? <laughs> Sorry, I like I'm so far away from the Forbes 30 under 30 list that I don't even really know what it's called. I know the the word 30 isn't there twice. I think you got it right. It's Forbes 30 under 30. Yes. Yeah, Anytime so I compliment Young Me on a piece that she's wearing, she says it's a Sandy and I'm like, Oh my God. It's 100% true. That's, That's totally true. And I feel so self-conscious right now because I dre- I, I'm dressed like shit in no, front of a cool fashion I, designer. <laughs> is, is that called Lacoste? Your shirt? Is yeah. that what it's called? Um, or Lacrosse? Yeah, it's, it's a Lacoste. It's a, by this up and coming French... Uh, designer. Ever heard of it? <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Well, Sandy, it's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to to see what this is all about. Before we learn more about you, Young Me, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling... Uh, uh, oh my God. I don't know. I had a very intense... I keep saying this. I had a very intense past few weeks... Um, I know Sandy because like we both like live and work around Lower East Side and we're already your studios here. Um, and so and obviously Sandy knows that Mission, the one in Manhattan closed. Um, and I'm just sort of like it's crazy because like all of that went by and I processed it and stuff. But now this week I was like thrown into just like doing Zoom school all the time with Mino, my son. And so it's like mom life. Yeah. Mom life. And I'm working, I'm back working full time in Bushwick. So it's kind of like all this stuff happened. I didn't really process any of it. And then I just have to like go back into my regular life. Mm -hmm. And like I said, like I have a hard time processing when big things happen anyway. So it's like in a few months, I'm going to probably be like crying for no reason. But like right now, it's just like I'm in this like weird place where I feel like there's a lot of unprocessed stuff mm. inside my head. And I'm just like just chugging along. You know what I mean? Yeah, which I know is, exactly what you mean. Which is I feel like how everyone lives their life basically as an adult. It's like it's weird because like, you know, if if something really big happens, like there are only a few allowances in life where you're allowed to like really take time off. Like for if sure. somebody in your family dies, mm-hmm. obviously you can take time off and grieve or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is weird because for most people, grief doesn't come immediately. It might take a few months, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like for a lot of other things, like there's no allowance in society for you to really process it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like even, you know, we've, like when I got joked divorced. About this. We've joked about this we on did. our podcast where that's the, uh, that's a central tenet of the Asian immigrant experience. <laughs> 
is to never have time to grieve or process anything. So it's just buried deep inside of you while you're creating a new life in America. Yeah. And then like somebody cuts you off and you like go and like chop down a tree in your backyard for no reason or something. <laughs> just something weird. Or just get mad at your kid yeah, or something. <laughs> throw their homework in the garbage. Um, you go home and beat your child. That's horrible. That's, oh. that's racist. That's not Asian people. That's just, I don't know, anger oh, management so are you issues. nervous? Are you nervous? Of that I'm going to beat my child? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, like, Sorry. it seems like you know that there is this... Uh, something bigger is coming where you yeah. have all this like unprocessed emotion that's just floating inside of you. Yes. I'm nervous. Like I'm nervous to like how that's going to come out. I don't know if I'm nervous, but I'm just kind of like anticipating it in some yeah. way, but it's, it's kind of shitty because it's like part of my personality. I can't make myself process stuff when I want to. Mm-hmm. Like I have to wait for it to sort of come out, you know? Right. And mm-hmm. so in the meantime, it's just teaching me know how to add three digit numbers. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's like, yeah. And school is so like, I mean, okay. But today there was a a math problem of seven plus eight. And I was like, I have to use my fingers for this one. (laughs) (laughs) He said first grade, his schoolwork's getting almost, it's already almost too hard for me. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like sitting there doing like seven plus eight, but then I'm like, what's happening in my life? Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird that yeah. I think it's a weird thing that we're all like expected to like do normal life while all this trauma is happening around us. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. But oh, also real quick before I ask you, Brian, also I'm really excited that Trump has COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, like I was so excited and I think it's so funny, which is, I don't, I'm sure there are some people listening that disagree with that, but come on guys. It's funny. <laughs> it's a little funny. How about you, Brian? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm I'm feeling ambivalent. I, there's like good and bad for me. So the good is I've been working on this super fun shoot, and oh yeah, um yeah, you know, I'm it makes me really happy that I'm able to like book work, especially during these times, and it's like a cool project and super fun, and I'm just gonna live in it and accept like yeah, this is something cool that I'm doing, and it makes me feel good. Conversely, I got rejected again. <gasps> I'm, I'm, like romantically? I'm, romantically. Oh no. I'm on a string of rejections right now, but each one stings a little more than the previous one. And I never used to feel like bad about rejections. I kind of would, I was pretty good about like, whatever, what the fuck. But ever since I turned 30, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'll be in the bathroom, like taking a piss and then out of nowhere, I'll be like, uh, maybe I'm going to just be alone, truly be alone for the rest of my life. Ah, uh, that makes sense that it coincided with you turning 30. Yes. I feel like there's something about that that's like... It all happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've never felt this pressure before, but now that I'm 30, like, I'm doing mm. the math in my head where I'm like, okay, I want to have a family one day. Wait, I actually have like a finite amount of time and this window is closing before I can really capitalize and make this shit happen. Yeah. yeah. It's like that Friends episode. When Rachel turns 30 and she's like, according to all the things that I planned out in my life, right. I should already like be with the person I want to settle down with. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. I got rejected and I went through what Rachel went through in France. <laughs> uh, what a what a pioneer, Rachel, that Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I have her haircut right now, the Rachel <laughs> in 2020. Speaking of haircuts, though, on this shoot, they shaved the bottom half of my head. So hopefully... Brian. 
it'll help me land. You uh, look so much better. You look hot. <laughs> this is for our listeners. Brian walked in today and I was like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> you're like back, back on top, Brian. Back on top. Yeah. So wow, I'm who, so happy. So for the Asians here. out there who are also 30 single and have hopes of finding a lover, Shave the bottom half of only the bottom half of your head so you have an aggressively two block haircut. I'm gonna take a picture of this and put it, <laughs> and you guys will see what I mean. It's like a Peaky Blinders haircut. It's hot. Peaky Blinders is a very hot show. Never seen it. I, this is really <laughs> awkward. I just had sex with somebody that had that haircut and it was like pretty hot. Sandy, how are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I I'm am not hitting on Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, um, it's a busy week for me mm-hmm. work-wise. And so I haven't even thought about how I've felt. I'm just going through sort of what you're going through, young me, where you're just like dealing with life and waiting until it hits you. Um, but I'm hanging in there, just working. I feel like that's how I process my stuff. Yeah. Just doing a lot of that. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just confronting and processing your emotions make you feel uncomfortable? Definitely. But I think that's why you have to do it because... It's supposed to be good for you, right? Or like make you think deeply. I feel like lately I've been, if I can't fall asleep really quickly, mm-hmm. I'll sit there, I'll, I'll, I'll lay there and I'll think about all the things that worry me and it's a real downer and it gives me like intense intense anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just all, yeah. it's everything that's happening right now. Right. Mm. Um, it's just the news, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, slow, I'm not that person who like listens to the news all the time and gets like incredibly affected, but I think it's seeping in in ways that I didn't think it would seep in. Oh, it just yeah. makes you think it about death. in for sure. Yeah. Wait, are you, are you kind of like feeling how I feel where I'm like sort of afraid of like the, what, when that stuff will come back to me? Mm, I would say for me, I think I've just had this really long relationship with dealing with stress and work poorly. Mm. Like a few years ago, I was stressed out all the time about work, especially like money related things. And I gave myself shingles, right? And like I saw an acupuncturist and she was like, you're way too stressed out. Your energy is like crazy right now. You need to go to soul cycle. You need to like work out and like sweat. Um, And I think that I was better about it for a while. And I think that with COVID, it's gone worse because I'm that much more worried about everything. You Mm -hmm. know, like I'm really happy and I love my job. But it's also a lot having your own thing. I'm sure you guys know. Even running this, it's like, it's, it's a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. As, the, as the business owner, the founder and CEO of Sandy Leong, that's like a lot of pressure. I feel like, you know. Yeah. I like that your acupuncturist said, you need to go to SoulCycle. No, oh my God, it was so crazy. I walked in, yeah. like I made an appointment because I had already had shingles and yeah. she was like, just like walking in, she was like, oh my God, Sandy, your energy, like you're about to give me a nervous breakdown because I'm sensing how like, oh my God. how much anxiety you have. And I was like, no, I totally feel calm because I had suppressed that. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. you are not yeah. okay. Whoa. Um, and I think that your body, and now that I'm getting older, like I'm, I'm really trying to like hear my body more because it kicks you in the ass. Like you think you're fine. You think you're, you're like, you know, something bad happened, but like, I'm fine. I'm just going to like do something else, whatever. Mm-hmm. But your body, your body is totally affected by it. You know, yeah. like right. I feel my heart racing sometimes and I don't even know why anymore. Yeah. And I think it's just because I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're just listening to your body more. Yeah. When you're younger, you're really good at just being like, you know, distracting yourself mm-hmm. or like going into your place, you know, and not dealing with it, pushing stress off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you're older, you can't ignore it. And mm-hmm. then you start like getting sick and stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like we were talking about similar things, but I feel like that is that is a very Asian thing. It's like a it's like a I don't want to say like a survival mechanism, but it is, you know, it like, totally is. I was just talking to my boyfriend about this last night because we had both had really long days. Mm. Yeah. And it's such an Asian thing to distract yourself and work because I've told myself ever since I was a kid, like the ultimate goal in life is to have your own business and to like make yeah. your own money and to like make tons of money and like blah, yeah. blah, blah, whatever your parents instill in you at a young age. Right. And I mean, I have different opinions about that now, but to some extent, like, yes, I feel like I am a valuable like asset to like my community and to my family as long as I am successful. Right. Um, And what does that even mean anymore? Like, I don't know, but Mm. yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. But it's, it's, I mean that, like, I think we've talked about that a lot on the podcast. It's like sort of sad because it's like, you know, you are a valuable person without that. You're like a valuable human being to your family and your friends. And like, it's hard to accept that, you know, it's hard to think that and be like, oh, I don't have to work even if I didn't have all this. You yeah. know, I, I'm a, like deserving of love or something. Yeah. But I think it's especially hard when you are so associated with your project. Right. 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 Like, let's say like it's this like podcast name. doesn't do well or like mission or like whatever something happened. Yeah. You can't divorce yourself from that. Um, not immediately anyway. And it, it kind of hurts for a while, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's like an interesting thing that I don't think people because we've had people on the show that have like been bosses, but not I guess not like their own brand yeah i mean I, i'm sure we have had people like that but yeah it's like if you fail it's like your thing right it's not yeah. like you it's not like you work for a company mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that is an interesting thing yeah i get weirded out by every time we publish something through this podcast because it is we're basically commodifying ourselves yeah and like our every so thought and my defense mechanism is to just completely disassociate myself from like podcast itself like sometimes I even forget yeah what I say on it because like I don't want I, I don't know if I can handle like that kind of critis- criticism easily because like it is yours you know mm-hmm. versus like being yeah. a cog in a company and mm-hmm. then I can just displace any criticism to my like shitty manager or something that is such an interesting thing like for some reason I, I obviously I like abstractly think about that but I've never really like sat down and really thought about that it's hard when I feel like you know, because a lot of people, I'm sure, will see you and your success and that's their dream, you know, like to be like successful fashion label with your name. But they don't understand the downside of that is like when it goes bad, it's it's you and your name, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. it's not only just like the glory. Yeah. Yeah. And the success. Did you always have um, ambitions to be a fashion designer from a young age? Yeah, I was obsessed with clothes okay. ever since I was very little. And I think it's because, um, and I've thought, thought about this a lot, I think it's because my mom was so against any like semblance of like me caring about how I looked. Oh, really? So like makeup, like lip gloss, like new clothes, like all of that was really, really bad and looked down upon. And, you know, it was kind of like if I cared about clothes then automatically it made me care less about school and I wasn't a good student and therefore I wouldn't get good grades and get into a good college right Mm. like everything was so um so negative and so it was always really she always really discouraged me from caring about how I looked Mm. um and I think because of that I really really wanted um the new you know sketchers that like my classmate had right and it really grew out of just like I don't know 
wanting to like shop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like looking at the Rockaware hoodie that like my friend had, but like my mom would never buy for me mm. um, unless it was like on sale or like from TJ Maxx or like whatever. Right. Yeah. And like, I'm not, you know, bashing on my mom. Like I love her. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was an immigrant and she, you know, it's not like we ever like didn't have food on the table, yeah. Yeah. but it was like, you never waste money where you don't need to waste money. Like why right. wouldn't you buy the toothpaste that's on sale? Like when you, for sure, you know, yeah. So it was like that with clothes, but to the extreme, because she also was like, "You're gonna grow out of this." Even though mm. when I was like fully grown by the time I was in the fifth grade, but she was like, oh. "No, you're gonna grow out of this." Like, let's get the bigger size and like whatever and hand me downs. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it was just it stemmed from me being really discouraged from. It's like your form of rebellion, almost. Yeah, I also just really liked to draw, and I okay. think that mm. combined with me. Um, loving, and that was like sort of my escape all the time. Okay. I would draw my brother's old notebooks, mm-hmm. his like old marble composition notebooks, because um, he would never write on the back of the page, and I thought that was so wasteful. Oh. And so uh, I loved drawing. I would draw like outfits for Destiny's Child and like awesome. Britney Spears and um, have a lot of fun with that. That was like a dream. Like being a fashion designer was my dream. So you wanted to be Tina Knowles. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to be House of Desiree. Is that what it's called? Is that her fashion label? She had a la- her house? No, house of Darion. She oh. had it with Beyonce. Oh my God. I love her so much. Her looks. Mm-hmm. The looks. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's, just, you know, like what you're saying about your mom. Um, I really, I mean, I don't know about you, Brian, because I don't know if like this is how you were treated, but like mm-hmm. I really relate to that because my mom, it's like the mentality, it's the immigrant mentality where it's like, why would you waste money, you know, on this that's like seems really frivolous mm-hmm. uh, and they don't see it as like an expression or like an mm-hmm. art and there's like, a devaluing and something that you think is important that I think is really hurtful. Yeah. Well, mm. I think it's also because my, both my parents grew up so poor. Right. Yeah. And so to them, it's like, you don't, you're not allowed to spend money frivolously when you haven't earned a cent and you don't know the value of a dollar yet. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think them being super frugal, all, not my dad, but my mom being super frugal all the time, yeah. which is her way of trying to teach me like everything has value and you really need to work hard in life to mm. to make a living for yourself. And my dad was the same way, but he like less so. Um, he would like ball out at Staples like when it was like back to school season. Awesome. And I remember feeling like, wow, I'm like a princess. Like I'm like a trust fund <laughs> princess. He's just spent $300 at Staples. That's crazy. <laughs> um, no, but... He got you the, the yeah. five-star binder with like the zip, that zips close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's so interesting because it's like uh, he felt like he could spend money because it's useful it's for school. Yeah. So it's not even the money. It's like, oh, this is valuable. It's going towards your education or something. Yeah. Do you think that's like fair to say? My parents were like very different growing up. My mm-hmm. mom was... Um, they both loved like telling me stories every single day of like, I grew up without shoes. I grew up with one pair of pants for like a whole year. Right. So the fact that you're complaining about da-da-da, whatever, right, whatever. Right, right. But um, my dad was always working because he right. was super busy and um, providing and my mom wasn't working. And so my dad... I think whenever he um, had time to go take a shopping, he would splurge. And it was really, really neat because that was like the one time I didn't have to beg my mom for like a DKNY logo shirt, you know? Mm. Like my dad would be like, okay, we're at Abercrombie, you know, like buy what you want. And I remember I would just like go crazy because I'm like, this is my one chance a year to like go shopping. Did your, was it like your mom ever mad when your dad did that, like took you shopping or she was like, this is great? No, I mean, he rarely, the thing is like, he didn't really have time to take a shopping. So it was like once a year sort of thing. Aww. Um, And it wasn't like 
she was paying for it, so she was fine with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you just have always loved fashion. You drew a lot, and then it sort of culminated into you going to fashion school and like studying design. Am I, is that a safe assumption? Yeah. I mean, I went to I went to school in Queens, and then um, I tested into a specialized high school, uh-huh. which was very math and science focused. Right. And I'm just so bad at math. Like when you were talking about teaching Mino how to do with the numbers and yeah. my hands, like I have to do that. Yeah. And my brother always makes fun of me, but it's like I have fingers and I need to use them to count. Right. Um, yeah. But no, I was terrible at math and science and I don't know how I made it through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going there made me realize like I really am into like drawing and and clothes and that whole world. And I feel like I could never be bored by it. And I think that's what drew me in the most. Like, wow, mm. I would never be bored by clothes and fashion. Yeah. Um, also, fashion was like a different time back then, right? Like mm. things were actually exciting mm. and things weren't everywhere all the time. So things felt special. Not that they don't now, but it's a different world. Right, um, right. Yeah. But then after high school, I was not brave enough to just go into fashion because mm. my yeah. parents were still those Asian parents who were like, well... Do something practical. Exactly. Yeah. And you need a license of some sort to be like a legit member of society. Right. Um, so then I went to RISD okay. and was going to do the architecture program there. <laughs> Which is like the best in the best in the nation. <laughs> I like how that's like your fallback. Like, yes, yeah, so I went to RISD architecture. <laughs> <laughs> it was very different than anything that I was used to. Right. And I think I was like stuck up about it, but I, mm. I just felt like I'm used to New York where there's a ton of people... Mm. And like, blah, blah, blah. And I always feel safe in New York. And I mm. there's so many places and different people. And I think that I reacted so negatively to Providence because I didn't want to let myself like it. Mm. Um, so I transferred out mid-year, which like wow. I didn't even know was an the option. The first year? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, so which you is so crazy because when over I... Over it as soon as you arrived. Yes. Which is crazy because I didn't apply to any schools in New York when I was in high school because mm. I was like, I've done the city. I'm done with the city. I want to yeah. like go somewhere else, which is like how a lot of people felt. Right, right. Um, so I transferred to Parsons mid-year. Nice. And then I, I went there. <laughs> okay. So awesome. I guess my follow-up question is... It's two parts. Um, and I'm, I'm approaching this as like, a, I don't have like a deep extensive knowledge of fashion. However, to me, fashion has always felt like a bit exclusive. And mm. it also felt that it, you require some sort of capital in order to develop an interest in it because clothes are inherently like, they, it can be expensive, especially designer clothes. And I guess in your time in Parsons, did you, did you ever feel like, aware of your Asian-ness per se? Because I guess, I don't know, around your time, like were there like any Asian American designers who were popping off? Did those two, like the socioeconomic and like the Asian factors like ever become more aware to you? You know, I guess I've been very privileged in life to the point where I didn't notice those things as much, right? Okay. So I, the whole reason why I wanted to transfer to Parsons was so I could intern the entire time I was at school, yeah. which was not an option when I was in Providence. Right. right. While well, I was also doing something totally different there. But um, at Parsons, I my first internship was at Jason Wu. Okay, cool. And I think oh, it was like right yeah. after he did the inaugural gown for Michelle mm. Obama. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, I remember that. Yeah, that was an epic moment. That was big, yeah. Super cool for him. Um, And then after that, I interned at Richard Chai and Philip Lim 
And then also opening ceremony. Okay. So I think all of the yeah. brands that I interned for were Asian American. Uh, Asian yeah. American designers, yeah. That's awesome. So like did I feel like left out, I guess, in a way because I was Asian? Like I guess um, not left out, but more like aware, like just aware. It's mm-hmm. like when I go into a do a comedy show and it's like all white people. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm aware that I'm Asian in this space. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's just me not knowing the fashion industry that well because I just assumed there weren't that many Asian American designers. Right. I mean, around that time, there was a lot, there were a lot of like Asian designers that were like kind of hopping off, right? Yeah. Um, you know, back to what you were saying though about like the, like how you felt different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say I felt that way in that all the guy, all the people that I interned for were, were men. Mm-hmm. And it was really, wow. I, I hadn't yes. interned for like a woman, right? Mm. And that's not because I was deliberately picking these people. Right. It's because you're desperate to get anywhere and like you pick your favorite designers and you sort of just like see where you can get in. Right. Um, But I had never been at a company where like a woman was like the head designer. Mm. Mm. Um, Although at Philip Lim, I worked under like a bunch of women, which was really cool. Right. And the the CEO there is woman. Well, that's an interesting topic because I, I mean... I'm sure that you know way more other like Asian women in the fashion industry, but like just visibility wise, like just from an outsider perspective, the only other like well-known like Asian woman fashion designer I know is like Vera Wang, right? Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, because like, I mean, just like as somebody that's like a total, like I'm not in that world, I don't really know much about it. So it, that is a, such an interesting topic. They're all, there are all, a lot of Asian designers that are famous, but they're all men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny you say that like, you're not in the world, right? As yeah. if like I was. But like, I don't feel like I'm a part of that world. Still. I think you're part of the world, Sandy. You're I think it, it can seem like that. <laughs> world, 30 under 30. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I don't take it for granted. Yeah. Right. But I don't know. I guess it's just different than what I thought being a part of quote unquote that world would be like as like somebody looking in, right? Mm. Like as right. a student wanting to be a designer. Yeah. You know, you assume... This is obviously like pre-COVID, but like you yeah. you assume you go to parties and you go to Paris Fashion Week and you get invited to other shows right? Yeah. and you like know all the other designers, right? Yeah. And maybe it's because I'm naturally a super introvert person. Mm. And when I'm working, I'm like working. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't have friends. I don't have a lot of friends who are like in the fashion world. Mm. So it's not like we hang out and do fashion things, whatever that means. Like it can mean anything, right? But I guess what I'm saying is like my private life is like hanging out with my friends from high school yeah. or with my family or my boyfriend or my dog. Yeah. And we don't right. like talk about That's work. That's so true. You know, what's so it's, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like, you know, when I was young and you read these blogs or you read these magazines and you see this like glitzy lifestyle of certain creative industries that are very aspirational. As an adult, I've realized like we're only getting the very extroverted sliver of that. Yeah. Because even with comedy or like acting, there's introverts in both industries where they're not getting written about all the time and they're just shopping at Whole Foods and watching Netflix with their free time, you know? What I was going to say that's interesting about that is that the outside perception is that as a fashion designer, you're just like, la la, parties, champagne, Paris. Models everywhere. I'm fucking the shit. But then I feel like you, I think like as a designer and an artist, like that sort of mindset, like the creative mindset is like a person, like you're more of an artist. Like, you know, like if you think of like a painter, yeah. like somebody that's just like really involved in their work, obsessed with their work, they're like quiet and they're like alone a, a lot working. Right. And I, I feel like I like sort of know a little bit about some designers, fashion designers, and that's the like 
perception I get from them. I'm like, oh, this is like a true artist. They're just like a, a creative type and right, they're like right. introverted. Yeah. And they're in this field that looks very like la la la, you know, like yeah. <laughs> Kim I mean, Kardashian. <laughs> I don't even know. It's, it's so much more. Of. I mean, it's so much more common now, I feel, yeah. with Instagram where you like see Instagram stories because I have friends who are like filmmakers yeah. and stuff who live in LA. This glitzy Instagram stories of parties and all this. I'm like, yeah. are you even making anything, bro? Like, or are you just like, <laughs> or you just like the concept that you're a filmmaker, but yeah. you're just parting like one, but not actually making anything. Yeah, there's such a disconnect between like, you know, if you're a true like artist or creative type, your life is working, you know, mm -hmm. and working is like you're in the studio. Do you know what I mean? And then you go home and like eat dinner with your boyfriend and your dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's also yeah. um, because, and I'm sure a lot of other designers who own their own businesses will agree with me. It's because like, it's never just you're designing and like, oh, cool. I want to make a cute dress. Like, let's make it happen. And like Devil Wears Prada and like, you know, Anna Wintour sees it. Like, no. Like <laughs> as a brand owner, you're like, okay, can I afford payroll for the next year? Like, yeah. what is my cash flow? Mm. Um, PPP, you know? Yeah. And right. can I, I want to really hire this person with more experience, but they're commanding the salary. Is that even normal? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, all these things like bookkeeping questions and um, tax things like in production, like, are you gouging me or not? Like, yeah. and there's no manual for how to do any of this, right? So I've right. been really, really fortunate because I have like a mentor who has like walked me through this. Oh, that's oh wow. Um, but like, there's never an end to work. Like you could mm. always be improving something. Yeah. And if you feel like for a moment that you're not working, you feel like it's time wasted, right? Because right. it's half of me has to look at the numbers constantly and make sure like we can survive. The other half of me is like, I also need to be divorced from that so that I can be happy and I can create things yeah. that actually mean something to me. Mm. And I don't want to just be making things for the sake of making things so that I can like sell a lot of them, right? Because that doesn't translate, especially not how I work. Yeah. So it's That's like a the dilemma between like being a creative and an artist and having a vision and knowing that you need time to like relax so you can be creative mm -hmm. yeah. and then floating a business. I feel like because you're really close with Danny, my ex-husband, and I feel like you two have that same dilemma because mm -hmm. it's like, well, I got to like keep this place going. But then I also need to like go lay down and think of new ideas. Mm -hmm. Like, how am I supposed to do that right now? You know what I mean? I think we're going to ask you the podcast question. I don't know why I'm like, <laughs> yeah, everyone so, brace for it. We like to ask so, our guests um, this. This is a question that we like to ask all of our guests, Sandy, and that is, how Asian are you? Um, Considering we're sitting in my dad's Chinese restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm pretty Asian and I'm, I'm happy to be Asian. I mean, what does that mean, right? But in terms of like how I feel surface, like, yes, I am extremely Asian and it's like a strong Asianist. And I know this because my boyfriend is Caucasian mm. and he's basically Asian now too. Oh, good. Wow. So I've sort of converted him. Converted him. Good. Can you give us an example of how you converted him? He apologizes him? all the time. <laughs> he feels um, bad. He, he like knows Cantonese. Nice. Basically, he knows all the important words, like different foods and like I'm full or like I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, he never says no to my dad when my dad offers him food because that's like <laughs> wow. the number one rude thing to do. It's like, oh, I'm too full to eat right, that. Like, right. He's like our family. I mean, I love him dearly, but he's kind of like the garbage disposal. Like yeah. he will never say no to food when it comes from my dad. Infectiously yeah. Asian. Infectiously. Infectiously. So I noticed one thing with a lot of our Asian American guests and myself included. Did you ever go through a period where you were embarrassed of your Asianness? Oh my God, of course. When I was in grade school and there was, it was like bring a fruit to school day 
and I had like a persimmon, mm. right? Mm. And my, and everybody was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like everybody brought like an apple or an orange or a banana or a kiwi. Yeah. And um, oh, my God. I mean, not that that scarred me or anything. I'm making it way more dramatic than it sounded. <laughs> but also just yeah. like your parents not knowing things that are like more PC. Like for nap time, everybody had to bring like a towel from home. Yeah. And my mom gave me like a Marlboro, like smoking, like, <laughs> like a Marlboro towel because it was I'm like one joke. that they had. Right? I swear to God, I feel like those, both those memories, I feel like I've had the same memories that I've like <laughs> repressed. Yes. Yeah. And like, the Marlboro towel that was every Asian kid we're yes. like here's our Playboy bunny towel from my dad's <laughs> he got it free because he sent in his Marlboro dollars or something. exactly yeah or like eating a hot dog for lunch and like it's wrapped in just like regular white bread something about wrapping a hot dog in white bread makes me feel like I'm like an old timey like 1930s newsboy or <laughs> it just feels like the, like what happened in my life but that's really interesting that you you grew up in New York right mm-hmm. I grew up in Queens yeah like mm-hmm. there's like there was probably were a lot of Asians in your immediate community right yeah and I think that goes back to like me feeling like I've been um very fortunate in life to the point where I never have felt like an outsider. Mm. I mean, I guess as part from like the whole fashion thing, but right. like I went to an elementary school that like had a lot of Asians, um, middle school as well. And then high school was like a ton of Asians. Okay. Okay. And then RISD and Parsons, like, come Wait, on. I sort of, I love, I love how you're like, I've never felt like an outsider aside for the whole, my entire career thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's like also who you asked that question yeah. to. Like maybe I'm not, maybe you're right. And like, I'm not. I don't know. Oh, no. I I think that you feeling that way is valid. I feel like that's just a very big hurdle in your life. But I thought it was interesting how you like stated it. Like it wasn't a big deal, but I'm like, that's your life. Like that sounds (laughs) terrible. (laughs) No, I didn't. I didn't mean to like ask like you. I believe you. That's Mm. like... Yeah. You and Vera Wang, man. That's it. Yeah, me and me and Vera, we go way back. She is so skinny. Good for her. Yeah. As an Asian woman, I just want to point out, she she did it. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's like, you could look like her, you know, if you just stopped eating. Wow. <laughs> That's also another very Asian thing. When your relatives tell you you're too tan and like extremely fat. Oh, know? yeah. Like That's all the time for day. no reason. For no reason. I don't know why. (laughs) For absolutely no reason. Yeah. It's either you look very um, healthy, which is you're overweight, or you look really sick, which is where you like kind of want to be. Yeah. (laughs) Not that you, not that I encourage people to do that, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah. They're dramatic. That's very funny because my, every time I see my parents now, they're like, you need to gain some fucking weight. You look sick. You look, and I'm like, I'm booking more than ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that just means you've maintained your weight. So they're like, you look sick. My mom, I feel like I had like such a bad eating disorder as a teenager as, you know, as we all did. But like, (laughs) I feel like my mom at one point, I like just stopped eating and she was like, Yomi, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. You haven't eaten in days. You look good though. I'm not gonna. I was like, that was terrible. Oh Traumatic. God. Oh God. Wait, can I ask you, can I swing back around to something that Brian was kind of saying? There are two things like Brian asked you. And I think that the first part where he said, way. <laughs> no, I think that this is like a kind of an interesting topic. And I want, I want to hear your like opinion on this fashion to me has always, I think for me, like I was like, Oh, fashion's cool. But then it always seemed so like, everything was so expensive. And like, I felt like I'm sure, I think it's like on purpose that the fashion industry tries to like project this image of like 
unattainability. Like I, I think I, it was in that documentary about Vogue even where they were like, you're not supposed to buy the $30,000 pants. It's just <laughs> supposed to make you feel stupid and poor. You know, like, there's like, you know, oh my like God. skinny white woman that's six foot tall wearing $3,000, you know, panties. Like yeah. that's just supposed to make you feel like you can't, you can't do it. And that's mm-hmm. like the whole point of it. And I felt mm-hmm. like just picking up on that as a younger person, that's made me afraid of it. And it made me feel like it was something that I couldn't even like ever be a part of that industry, even if I was like interested in clothes or whatever. And I was like, everyone's like skinnier and richer than me. And then I think later on in my life when I realized it was like a lot of people like you that were just like artists that were actual creatives and like, like thinking about it as like an art and like a, you know, expressive outlet. And I was like, oh, this is like not what I thought it was. Um, but I guess my question, there are so many people that are into fashion, not designers, but like the clientele. Right. And like, it is to me, like from the outside, it does look like for the most part, they're just like super rich and they can afford it. And like, that's what deters, like kind of sends me away from it. Mm -hmm. How do you like, what, what do you feel about that? Like, do you have any feelings about that? I honestly try not to think about it because it really interrupts like how I feel and like what I do. Right. Mm. I'm trying. And I think in the beginning when I was more insecure about my work, because I was younger and like, I didn't know what I was doing. You do try to think, okay, what does that person want to buy and how do I make them happy? Whereas now I'm more like, no, I want to make what makes me happy and what I feel like is true to myself. And whether they like that or not, like that's another story. Yeah. I guess it's just how I see it. Like I don't see myself as doing like art, I guess, right? Mm. It's more just like, like I I think people make fashion into this really big, important thing. Um, Mm. And that's honestly what drew me to it, right? Right. Like the allure of, you know, reading Vogue when you're like 16 and seeing a product clutch and you're like, oh my God, I could never afford that. Like I could never have that. If I had that, I would be a cool girl. If I could be like Anne Hathaway in the Devil Wears Prada, I would be sick. Like that would be great for the rest of my life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just feel like now that I'm here and I'm like on the other side of it, Um, I feel like it's so much more simple in a way. Mm. Like I am just making clothes. Like I don't need to be a personality. I don't need to be like, and I feel like I'm not even addressing your question. So I'm a, a, apologizing. I honestly in advance. don't know what my question is. I'm so, no, you I feel like I you keep missing it. it. Yeah. I am. Okay. It, yeah. I feel like, yeah. So I feel like I'm just doing what I love. Right. 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 I think we're kind of coming to the same conclusion together, which is, there's this outside perception of fashion, right? Which is like what I sort of like just have been like a yucky like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm very and like yuck ew. about yeah. it. Yeah. Like I mean, even, I'm very a, yeah. yuck about it in the same way that you are too. Yeah. For but, those very specific reasons. But then Go I ahead. think the conclusion that we're all sort of like, and this is like already, you already know this, but like the outside perception is very different than when you're in the inside, like working. It's like for you, I feel like you maybe align with the like business person side of it and the you're creative just, you're side. You're a creator. Yeah. You're a designer. You're making the work, you know? Yeah. That's the thing that deter- that kind of turned me off about a lot of fashion circles is just like at the end of the day, there was a lot of elitism and kind of condescension about like, oh, you're not cool because you're not wearing this sort of thing. And I'm like... Yeah. What the f- like you're just spending your parents' money. Like you're not making anything, bro. Drag like, them, Brian. Drag <laughs> them. Uh. Like I'd rather look like shit, but at least be putting something out into the world and like Also, I'm guessing that part of being in the fashion industry is that, you know, the people that we are like talking shit about is pro- are probably the people that you also dislike too, right? <laughs> right, Sandy? I don't know. I don't she know. She can't. She's just creating, bro. Yeah. It seems like yeah. 
oh, I, I don't even know what my but question I know, was. I know exactly what you mean, though, because when I think too much about, like, the types of people who might be consuming, like, the comedy mm. that I'm making or, like, the, my stand-up content, it, it interrupts my, like, creative process and oftentimes in a very cynical and pessimistic way. Yeah. And I think it's good to have that delineation where you kind of just put your blinders on. I'm just going to make my thing and that's that. Yeah. And I yeah. think as a creative person, like we're extremely insecure, right? Yeah. And I feel like sometimes yes. if I'm listening to people too much, yeah, I get too informed and too influenced. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, do I even like that? Or did I make that because I thought it would sell or I thought that person would like it? Mm. And I think like I'm a Gemini, so I'm very oh. impacted by mm. other people like in that way. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I like to please and so I really, really try to turn it off. So I'm just like, Ooh. I go into my studio, which is literally a basement. And you know, because you've been there before. Yeah. And then I like turn the world off and then I'm just there working. What do you do when you're feeling creatively uninspired? Um, I try not to force it because I think that's something I used to try to do. Mm. And it never works. I don't remember where I read this, but I read somewhere... I don't know, probably like a New York mag, like .com thing, but creatives were like, how do you get going when you are at a roadblock? And like the best advice that I read was just going for a walk mm. and not being still. Your best ideas come to you when you are at your most relaxed state. That's like a scientifically like proven thing. And I've noticed that like... The shower. Yeah, the sh I was just going to say Whoa. that like I love zoning out in the shower and not that I'm like expecting it. It's not like a superpower. I'm just like waiting for it to come. But yeah. it does happen a lot when I'm in the shower or like right before I go to bed or just like when I'm not consumed by work. Wow. I just had a light bulb moment because I would tell people this and accept it for myself where I get my, be my best comedic ideas and most of my writing gets done between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. Uh -huh. But yeah. that's just probably when I'm most relaxed and like I'm just tired and about to go to bed. Yeah. And I'm not thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. I have this weird thing where, you know, like the hypnagogic state, like when you're between sleeping and awake, it's like the state where like you like jerk awake like yes. that. For some reason, like all these, like I get like this weird train of thought during that time. And so I wake up like with ideas. Oh, weird. But it's like, crazy. there's nothing I can do to like catch <laughs> that. I could, I just have to be like, I wake up like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> but sometimes it's not funny I'm just I've, I've done that before and yeah. I wake up and I'm conscious and like looking at my journal and it's like frogs <laughs> like this doesn't make any it's just frogs <laughs> frogs that's a that's pretty funny though oh gosh um, <laughs> but Sandy thanks so much for providing some insights into the fashion industry and for a second, I feel like it's attainable now, young me. Yeah, Before, no, I, I mean, never thought it could be, but well, now I, I do. Have, I have this thing where I'm just like, I like to, my whole thing, and this is, I feel like Asian, but also maybe not everyone does this. My whole thing is like getting a deal. We've talked about this, yes, right? Yes. Like, I, like I love deal. like buying like off the real, real, where if it's like something that costs this much and it's like this much off, that gets me going. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like, that's like my whole thing. Like I will never, it's weird because like I'll buy something that was, it's $150, but it used to be like, let's say $600. And that I'd be like, fuck yeah, man. Like that. <laughs> but then I wouldn't like, but then I would never buy something that was $120 and it's still $120. I'm like, that's too expensive. Uh -huh. But if it's like, it used to be $600. Now it's $150. i am like clicking on buy. <laughs> yeah. Add to cart right now. Like <laughs> it's like, it's such a weird part of my brain. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like that I would never hundred, buy it if it makes, was just raw dog one twenty five. I'm like that's so expensive. Like, I've, I'm a little bit 
the opposite end where I will buy raw dog one twenty five. Yeah. But my met, my litmus test is okay. Am I still thinking about it three weeks in it like three weeks yeah. after the fact? I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna raw dog one twenty five, and then it's sold out, and I'm like, fuck it. I guess I'm just gonna go Uniqlo and buy something again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's a good test too. I feel like for what when you want to buy something, if you like are thinking about it for a while, yeah. Then if it's expensive, then I'll just go back and like buy it because I'm mm-hmm. like I've been thinking about it for so long. I don't think I've ever admitted this to anyone, but what? so I don't do drugs, I don't drink, and I feel like my new drug now is I'll buy something kind yeah. of expensive. Yeah. Just to get that like dopamine hit, I'm like, fuck yeah. And then I go home, try it on, looks like shit. And then I return it the next day. Nice. A lawful, <laughs> lawfully chaotic Brian Park. Yeah. I just want that rush of like The fact buying that you it. return it the next day. <laughs> Not even the return. So it's like lawful. I bought it. I'm walking home and I'm going to wear this shit. Nice. And I end up returning it. And then buying like the it. thing from Uniqlo. <laughs> nice. Um, Sandy, this is, a, this is our last question that we like to ask all of our guests. And that is... What is something that you're proud of? Mm, something that I'm proud of. Oh boy. I'm like being super Asian right now, trying to find like the best answer. And I'm blanking. There is no best answer. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the whole conundrum. I guess I'm really proud of. Just list it all, baby. <laughs> oh my God. You guys, I'm like sweating. <laughs> what am I? It's like so hard to be proud of yourself, right? <laughs> um. I guess I'm proud of. I don't know. Why is this so hard? Ask me I'm, I'm actually loving this right now because I'm so uncomfortable. You, right now. I've never I, met I you, always, but yeah. bef- I've known about you for a minute, and I think there's so much you can be proud of. But just being able to see you kind of squirm I with just, this question is like I such a real moment. Every time we ask somebody this question, the physical response is what always like gets me. It's yeah, so, you're looking at me hard right no, now. No, no. You're, just like, you're like ah, like curled up in a ball. So. When I was taking my driver's test, nobody in my family thought I could get it on the first try, like pass mm-hmm. it. And my mom made a bet with me because she was like, there's no way you're going to pass it. Like nobody else, you know, passes it like on the first try. Yeah. Um, although they do. So whatever. And she was like, I bet you $1,000. And I was like, fine, whatever. <laughs> so then I passed my driver's test on the first try. Let's fucking Mainly go. because it was in Queens in Fresh Meadows where there's like zero cars on the road. It was like next to a huge park. Um, and then I told my mom and then when I went home, she had $1,000 waiting for me in wow. cash wow. in a red envelope, which wow. is like insane. What? So that was a really cool thing. That's um, amazing. That like it's not a typical thing that happens in my family. <laughs> Well, I'm proud of you that you passed the driving test. Yeah. I didn't. Don't ask me if I can try. parallel park now, but... Did you... Do you think the $1,000 had anything to do with it or... It- no, my mom like is really good at lying to get you to do something <gasps> and then not doing wow. it. The amount of times she promised us to take us to Toys R Us if we did X, Y, Z and then we didn't go to Toys R Us. I feel like my mom would say something like that and not give me a thousand dollars. Pretty funny. So is that how? So that you're. So basically, what you're saying, Sandy, is your mom was like, "I bet you're not gonna be on Forbes starting at under thirty. I bet you're not." Oh my god, <laughs> my <laughs> parents. <laughs> my parents basically have no idea what I do. Kind of. Like really? they like know, but like they don't know the details of it like that. Like we don't talk about work like that. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa. Do you wish you did? No, because I hate talking about work like that, especially mm-hmm. when I don't have to. Okay. Yeah. Like when I'm like at home chilling. Chilling. One time my dad was like, you know what's really funny, Brian, is um, <laughs> Asian accents. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> it's hilarious. He like showed me a video of like some stand up making fun of Asians with what like a that? horrible Chinese accent. He's oh, like, this God. is funny. And I'm like, oh, <gasps> you don't get it, dad. You don't Wait. get my art, dad. <laughs> I have the same thing. When I was starting, my dad was like, you're going to make coats? That's so stupid. You should be making polo shirts. I always buy new polo shirts because you wear them out. You need to make polo shirts and be like Ralph Lauren. Wow. Don't make coats. You're just going to buy one coat every... I am literally wearing a polo shirt right now. I know. It's <laughs> lovely. If That's Sandy's hilarious. dad was here, he'd be like, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> I told you about the polo shirts. Yeah, actually. <laughs> that was great. I, I feel loved like, it. Yeah, that was, you're the first fashion person we had. I feel like I'm sorry that we were trying to be like, what is fashion? Can you tell us? We don't know. <laughs> I'm we sorry being, I couldn't go deeper. We were being like the least cool. That's why we don't belong in the fashion industry. We didn't even industry. get around, like before we started recording, I was like, I don't like French people and I was like I'm gonna talk shit about French people and he was like please don't <laughs> we didn't get to that part oh, I know no, we did so we squeezed it in this is we're on record yeah, right now yeah we're doing it right now just yeah. young and I shitting on French people you know I hate French people <laughs> <laughs> I can say that I'm 20% French I can say that okay I Disclaimer. forgot about that I forgot yeah. about that yeah. I didn't after <laughs> after you did that DNA test, there was a huge uptick in I your French a, <laughs> French shit talk. <laughs> after I, my DNA test came back, I just became a huge fucking bitch. I was like, uh, Brian, do you want to go get some brie cheese sandwiches? <laughs> au revoir, au revoir, Brian. <laughs> Excusez-moi, Brian, you're in my way. <laughs> I hope you get some shit. This is a funny thing, Sandy, is I made, I did an Australian accent and then our Australian listeners kind of got offended. So I hope we get a, you get the an French influx Asians. of French Asians who shit on you in the DMs. You know what? My accent is perfect. It's 20% <laughs> good. <laughs> um, Sandy, well, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. And for our listeners, where can they find you or your work? Um, you can find me. Is this where I put my Instagram and stuff? Yeah, whatever yeah, you want. Whatever you want. If you want. Sandyliang.info. Mm-hmm. And my name is my Instagram account. Nice. Sandy Liang. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just hanging around in the Lower East Side. Probably yeah. with you or Danny. Just yeah. Hang, hanging around. Shopping at the real real. Yeah. Shopping at the real. Should I start shopping at the real real? Yes. I got this new oh, haircut. It's like a so drug. Oh. Because you get the deals are good. <laughs> Ooh. So you're saying that it'll get me more high than a Uniqlo. Yeah, the return policy is a little bit more strict, so you can't do what the return you normally part is, do. Policy is garbage. It's like so bad that sometimes I'm like, I'm just not going to return this. I'm going to eat 150 dollars. All right, I'll try it. I'll All text right. you. I'll text you once I've made a purchase from the real real. Put it on your Instagram. What's your Instagram, Brian? <laughs> My Instagram is at it's Brian Park and. If I don't respond to one of your texts, just assume that I have died from a real, real overdose. Uh-huh. And what about you, young me? Uh, YM Mayor on Instagram and Twitter. Please follow our podcast page at Feeling Asian Podcast. And if you can, donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Feeling Asian. And if you're looking for a sound engineer, I highly recommend hitting up Sarah Pack at impact, I-M underscore P-A-K-T. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.